Welcome to episode 24 of the Bearded Marketers podcast, the only internet marketing podcast that matters. You can catch new episodes every Monday on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Blueberry, Blackberry Directory as well, and of course our website, thebeardedmarketers.com, which, yes, the new one is live. Please check it out. We've got tons of new stuff up there. Website tune-ups, which Corey has worked very hard on. My wife almost divorced me over these things. <laughs> it, it was worth it. They're great. For those of you who aren't familiar, um, we sort of walk through websites and talk about how we can make them convert better, I guess, is what right. I put it. Also, we take submissions. So if you like the content, feel free to submit your own site. We'll keep it anonymous if you want to, and we'll uh, consider it for a tune-up and then publish it. But I think that you guys will find some great value out of it. So check it out. Yeah, absolutely. Also, take a second. Find us on all the social networks, like I say, every episode. We have a bunch of new stuff that comes out on the social networks that we don't have a chance to talk about on the podcast, the website tune-ups, or throw up on the website. So we've got a good lineup of things to talk about tonight. Oh, yes. As, as we do every week. First, Corey, what were you drinking once I see you finished? I was very thirsty tonight, but it was a <laughs> Presbyterian. So for those that have never had or know what that is, two parts whiskey, one part lime, which is what I use tonight. You can also use lemon if you want. Some simple syrup and ginger beer. Goslings, ginger beer. Send us a case for free. Diet. I leave out the simple syrup when I make it, but well, it's good either way. I thought about splurging. I went to the gym earlier. <laughs> uh, tonight I am sticking with my theme of Scotch whiskeys, and I'm doing Glenfiddich 12. Oh. Again, though, on the rocks. I'm not manly enough to drink mm-hmm. it straight yet. Neat. Come on. Yeah, I can't do it. So episode 24, let's get into it. First things first, we're going to be talking about Google manual spam actions. Ooh, that sounds scary. We're going to do smart social marketing, uh, how you can approach Facebook and some data around that to potentially take care or take advantage, I should say, of their ad platform. We're going to also be talking about managing customer reviews, what are some do's and don'ts, and maybe some more unique ways of looking at it. And lastly, we're going to take a special look at an SEO topic, hidden text, and how you should approach that. So go ahead and kick us off, Rob, talking about the manual spam actions. <sighs> you, Yeah, you're right. This is a Varascar topic. <laughs> uh, spam actions from Google. If your rankings drop in Google, you're pretty much done as a company and business. If you can't buy AdWords at traffic either, you're done. Right. You might as well fold up shop, start a new domain. What's Google? I think currently they're about like 76 to 78% of search groupings altogether between them and all their like affiliate search right. engines. So if they tag you for spam actions, it can be very detrimental to your business. I think we've talked about in the past that sometimes it's not a full slap down in your de-index, but you know, it can really cost you on the SEO side of things. And like you said, if you get flagged hard enough, then they'll also prevent you from bidding in AdWords as well. So that's another traffic source gone. Right. So let's, yeah, let's maybe back it up a little bit and talk about some of the ways that um, Google can penalize your site for SEO practices that it deems are, um, I don't know. Not up to board. <laughs> okay, not above board. We'll put it that <laughs> way. Okay, so obviously Google has a very sophisticated algorithm that it uses to rank websites for certain keywords. Built into that algorithm, it tries to detect sites that are not worthy, I guess, of ranking highly for competitive terms that you know maybe other bigger brands are more respected, have mm-hmm. better content. So there's that part of it. There's also the other side, which is that Google has teams of people who, you know, and I'm not really sure exactly how this works. Destroyers of dreams. (laughs) Destroyers of dreams (laughs) who surf sites manually and find sites to penalize for using spammy techniques. And what you don't want to happen is that to Mm -hmm. you. (laughs) So 
you know, in the past, if that happened to your site, there was no, there wasn't really a way to to know if mm-hmm. that had happened. You know, all of a sudden your your rankings are down, but you don't know if it's an algorithm change. You don't know if you messed something up on the site. Yeah, maybe your HT access file got destroyed, or right. you know, there's a, so many other things that could have. Yeah, absolutely. On. Or if maybe you had a manual spam action taken against mm-hmm. you from someone on the Google team. So. With Webmaster Tools rolling around, which, again, if people aren't familiar with this, it's Google's Webmaster Tools. You can sign up and and get access to some of the information that Google sees about your site, including maybe some errors that Google's finding on your site, including, you know, 404 errors, duplicate content, that kind of stuff. So you could get a little bit of insight Mm -hmm. if your site wasn't performing well in Google. But now they've taken it to the next step and finally told people what the heck is going on with your site. If you have a manual penalty against your site, you can now log into your Google Webmaster Tools and find out, number one, if you have one, mm-hmm. but number two, what the actual problem is. Number three, submit a reconsideration request directly to Google, Direct detailing sort of how team. you've <laughs> <laughs> detailing sort of how you've corrected the mm-hmm. issues. So now there seems to be a glimmer of hope right. if you do get penalized for spam techniques to get back into the Google Index. Which I think for a lot of people would be a uh, a relief. We covered last podcast where we talked about SEO nowadays is partly your strategy, but also your risk aversion or your risk management of what you shouldn't be doing as well. And I think that a lot of people take over website, become a new marketing manager, or they actually consult with another company that does SEO and air quotes for them. And sometimes they're kind of divorced on what actions that they're taking. And I believe that this integration now with Google if, you know, someone in the past that was in your position or someone at your company did some shady practices and now your site uh, is suffering or maybe a vendor that you were working with to gain some better SEO has done something to cost your site. Now you at least have a marker to know what is actually going on and and hopefully a way to communicate better with Google and potentially get in their good graces. So definitely check that out, Webmaster Tools. If you're not using it, I don't know why you are not. It has a lot of good information in there. But also, you know, it seems to be kind of a turn potentially for Google. They're not really known to be pinnacles of customer service in multiple areas. I mean, AdWords is a perfect example. As a business that has worked with AdWords, I can assure you that if you interviewed a lot of customer service would be one of the bigger pain points of, you know, not knowing why something's potentially poorly performing, calling in, getting mixed signals, or just really not clear advice. So they're just really not known for good customer service. But I was actually reading an article earlier this week where one of their more famous spam i think he actually heads up the spam manual review team or at least something the policy along team, those lines yeah matt cuts actually has put together a form where you can go to google and submit your site i think they're looking for small to medium-sized businesses submit to them why you think you should rank higher in google for a given key term provide your case and they're actually going to manually review a couple hundred of them and actually respond to you on given the evidence you have and checking out your competitive landscape we agree with you or if not here's why so it's a uh, it, it's interesting I, that they're i don't know i can't help but think that that's some sort of sick joke that they're <laughs> playing on people <laughs> like it just doesn't sound feasible to me that you could sort of submit your I deserve to rank number one for whatever, and right. here's my case, and then that magically maybe you do. I don't know. Yeah. It just doesn't seem like it, that would happen. I'm sure that there will be people kind of providing some examples of what happens throughout the process. It's in the early stages now, uh, but it will be interesting to see 
whatever materializes from that. But it does seem like that Google's taking it a bit more seriously, which is good because at the end of the day, they are entrusted with a lot on the internet. And I think that if they want to continue that and not get a lot of pressure about antitrust and things like potentially having too much power on the internet, they're going to have to address some of these things because the financial impacts and the stranglehold that they have on some companies is pretty immense. So Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and well, I think too, for maybe a lot of people listening, if they aren't familiar with, you know, SEO and, and spam and things like that, they think that, you know, they're not doing anything wrong. Why do they need to worry about this? just want to throw a quick stat at you so you can get a feel for how often this happens to websites or how many websites out there this has happened to. So direct quote from Google on this. A recent analysis of our index showed that well under 2% of domains we've seen are manually removed for web spam, which I guess maybe on the surface seems low, but when you think of one in 50 websites has had a manual spam action against it, I mean, that could be your site. Right. And worth your time and checking out. So Google Webmaster Tools, check it out. We'll tweet out a link to this article detailing it, but pay attention to that. Glad that Google's making some uh, inroads into better transparency. So moving right along, came across an interesting article, which kind of reinforces some of the personal experience I have in the space, but it's from Kenshu Social, and they released a study where they took a look at Facebook ads. I feel like many people have potentially tried Facebook as a marketing engine. There's a lot of different tactics out there. In particular, what they were testing, static ads, versus dynamic ads based on past user actions. So what do I mean by that? They mean by static ads is ads that are created, uploaded to Facebook, and that have really no dynamic elements to it. It's the same headline for everybody. It's the same image, same ad content. The dynamic ads that they were testing in this article in particular, their example was a sofa company. How the dynamic ad would work is based on what sofa or sofas you are looking at, the ad would actually dynamically change and serve you up relative content based on what you were actually surfing on on that site and then give you a dynamic headline and content that was relevant to that. So here are some of the stats that they released, which I think might perk some ears up because of the actual differences that they saw. So the click-through rate was almost two times higher for the dynamic ad. Conversion rate was right there in line at two times higher. So not 2%, we're talking actually two full times the conversion rate. They saw a 16% lower cost per click. So the amount that they were having to pay and bidding on those ads in the long term was down 16%. The CPA, or the cost per acquisition for getting that lead into the door and potentially purchasing, was 50% lower. And then lastly, the ROI was 1.8 times higher for the dynamic ads. And to put that in perspective, the average ROI per click was $4.5 on average for the test that they were running versus $8.10 for the dynamic ads. Again, the performance was pretty staggering between the ad types that they were testing. And that does actually mirror what I've seen in my own personal experience. Yeah. Firstly, those last numbers you just stated, those earnings per what those are massive <laughs> Absolutely. for Facebook ads. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't, I wonder if they just really cherry picked some good case studies for this. Do you know anything about the selection? Well, I know it was definitely premium partners that got selected through like sort of two stages and full disclosure, Kenshu Social is actually one of the premier partners with Facebook. While I'm not uh, fully up with the relationship that they have, they might have some kind of special relationship that okay. maybe affords them more features that 
typical people have, but also what I've seen kind of in the social space, and that, and it really pertains to anything in PPC or any CPC type of arrangement when you're doing marketing, is it's really all about understanding your target market. A lot of times when I work with companies, take like a carpet bombing approach to their campaigns and they try to go for this really large reach. And a lot of people just take a, a stance of, I'm just going to make this as broad as possible and try to narrow things down. And they just never really get it to an optimal point. And I think that one thing that might be driving some of these numbers with Kinshu is one, their experience in the space. So they might be just right. really good at creating targeted campaigns. So that's why we see the numbers so high. But like you said, they might be also picking partners that already have a very unique brand that might actually work well in the Facebook crowd. So that's another thing that I feel like a lot of people lose out on is they see so many people working with Facebook in a day-to-day basis and they know everyone's on it. So they think it's a natural fit for their marketing campaigns when it might not be the best place or demographic for you to go after. Because at the end of the day, you know, a lot of people go on Facebook and don't really have the highest attention span or they're more likely to go on your site and actually come right back because they just came from Facebook and they want to get back on their creeping. Yeah, I wonder if a lot of this huge increase in performance is due to the fact that people are so used to terrible ads on Facebook and right. now all of a sudden you're oh, actually seeing, one. yeah, right, relevant ads. Mm-hmm. I remember the first time you sort of saw remarketing ads across the internet where it was a banner for a site I just went to. <laughs> How did they with know? With the product on it. Right. And it it worked. I mean, right. it does work. Oh, absolutely. But I wonder if a lot of that is still because it's maybe new and novel. Mm-hmm. But the other end of that, is I'm excited about this because while I'm not a huge Facebook user, I hope it cleans out some of the oh. junk that's in there right now and, right. and legitimate brands can compete with a lot of those sort of spammy advertisers that Mm -hmm. sell the get rich quick and the get rich dabs and the, you know, all that sort of stuff. Legal steroids and things like that. Well, and what I want to also cover in there. So, you know, I would challenge a lot of people out there, look into dynamic ads. And what we mean by those is, is kind of what we covered earlier on. Ones that are actually based on user browsing and that are actually served up to what they've actually expressed some interest. When I've talked to people about this in the past, Many people are just really intimidated by it. They think it takes a whole IT department and how does this technology even work? And really, it's it's been simplified quite a bit. You'll need to look for a good partner into the space. Ad Choice, DoubleClick can help you out there. Kenshu. There's numerous vendors out there that offer pretty easy integration to these technologies and can allow you to dynamically generate these ads in a manageable process and that you don't need a full-fledged IT team and make a bunch of changes to your website to be able to accomplish this. So as daunting as it might seem to be serving potentially unique ads to a good population of people that have visited your site, it is actually pretty manageable at this point. So give it a try. Also, did you hear those numbers that you just stated? Two times conversion. Those are are still incredible. Come on. So people, check it out. Dynamic ads. Also, again, this might be a way for you to maybe test the waters of Facebook again. Maybe, you know, you need to rework your strategy. Maybe you need to look at your ads a little bit differently, but it can pay off for you if you're the right demographic and and the right company to tackle that. All right. So I wanted to talk about managing customer reviews, both on third-party websites and reviews maybe on your site yourself, if you have that sort of functionality. You know, the ways that I've seen it done correctly and, you know, things that bug me when I see them on other sites and maybe some tips and pointers people can use moving forward. So to start this off, what sort of got me kicked on this was 
a post on Mashable.com, one of those huge infographics that no one actually reads, but just sort of sees the headline and, and shares it, it, of course, <laughs> shares it with everyone they've ever met. <laughs> the headline was 90% of Yelp users say positive reviews affect their purchases. So, Shocker. <laughs> uh, right. So on the surface, wow, 90%. That's amazing. But when you actually look at how they word that, who's going to say that's not the case? So Scrooge McDucker, <laughs> right. Ebenezer Scrooge. So getting beyond that, got, you know, so sort of got me thinking about, okay, re- reviews, you know, what do we do with reviews? How do we handle this sort of this mess of people talking either good or bad things about my site online? Right. So came up with a few little things that we can talk about. And these are things I've found on other websites and principles I've just come up with, you mm-hmm. know, on my own here, out of my own mind's eye. So the first one is to be active, which I think is maybe one of the most important things, is to get out there and be proactive and monitor all the places where customers buy your products. Obviously, monitor your own customer reviews if you have those on your own site. Monitor the forums where people are talking about you. Get all those social monitoring programs set up for your brand name, your product names, things like that. You need to get out there on top of people who are talking good or bad things about your company. But especially with those bad things, you need to be on top of trying to correct this issue, offering restitution, offering help. Oftentimes, that will turn a completely negative review 180 on its opposite. And now all of a sudden, this is like a positive thing. Everyone looks at you and your great customer service. Oh, absolutely. Like you said, I mean, I think sometimes seeing a response to a negative will do more than three positive reviews might have done for that product is seeing the customer service that you're adding. Yeah, absolutely. So the next one, don't censor things. If you have, and I know some of these review sites allow partnerships with companies who can go in and sort of remove irrelevant Yeah, it's either Yelp or Urban Spoon. One of those actually goes to companies and offers that as like a paid-for package. So they kind of like, it's. I think Better Business Bureau might do that also, kind of in a backhanded way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know that Yelp gets in trouble for what what you just said. People don't like that. But I don't think that's necessary. I don't think you need to go through that. And I don't think you need to censor things on your own site either. Um, obviously do it if it's irrelevant or if right. it's just a complete off-the-wall rant. But right. if it's a legitimate you know, one-star review because you messed something up, leave it there. But again, be proactive. Have a response right mm-hmm. beneath it. That just is so amazing to me when I see companies do that, mm-hmm. when they leave in the one-star review on their own website and they, they decide to try to handle it. Well, and that makes it, to me, believable. When I start seeing a bunch of five and four stars, seeing a negative review there in there once in a while that makes it more believable to me. Yeah. I mean, mistakes happen, products fail, or sometimes service can slip, or just people are jerks sometimes. Not necessarily your customers or anything that you did, but you just got a jerk person that you had to interact with. So, you know, I think negativity, as much as we try to avoid it, does add some believability into that process. Right. And maybe sort of the, I should have said at the beginning, the prerequisite for a lot of this is obviously you need to have good products, good customer service, all of these Mm -hmm. things. Some of this being open doesn't really work if you don't have those things. Next on the list, encourage positive reviews. This may seem like a simple, obvious, maybe we don't need to do this kind of thing. But when people buy from you and you encourage them to tweet about it, you know, you send those follow-up emails asking for reviews, I oftentimes ignore those, but sometimes I actually use that. And, you know, I don't leave reviews online, but sometimes those emails work for me and I leave a five-star review. Going back to that, it would be interesting, and I've never really seen a company do this, but I think what would work well, depending on your products and your margins and if this makes sense, to actually call someone after they use your service, ask them how it was, get some feedback from them, 
and actually encourage them on the phone to leave a review. I think that that would be really impactful versus, and maybe you send an email directly after that with easy links. Here's our Google profile to fill out a review. Here's our Yelp. And you make it quite easy for someone. But I think that oftentimes connect with them on a little bit more personal level, whether that's an actual phone call, or maybe you send them a card in the mail or something like that. Something that, that, gets people's attention. Not only are they more apt to do a review, but they actually might include that in the review themselves because you're coming at it from a more unique standpoint. And they feel like you valued their time and their effort that they put into that process. I challenge more companies to do that yeah. and see if that would work out more for you to encourage people to do reviews. Absolutely. Sort of to round out these four points I came with out of my mind's eye before we move on to the next topic. Finally, know the social networks and how interaction works across the different ones. So, for example, maybe on your own site, it's very easy to do a reply to somebody and just, you know, offer restitution. Maybe it offers, there's a thread there, a message thread between the two of you. And it's very easy for other people to to see that, okay, these guys were working together to get this Mm -hmm. fixed. That's great. Oftentimes, there are a lot of other social networks, for example, Twitter, where that's not going to work. So you need to understand the differences. Obviously, there's only 140 characters there. Do you friend people? Do you direct message them? How Mm -hmm. do you get things off of the social network? How do you interact on, say, Facebook when people just complain about you and their status updates? You know, do you comment directly on it? Some people may see as that as intrusive. So how do you manage some of that stuff? And knowing what the limits are on some people's personal social networks and forums and things like that, I think can go a long way. One thing that I think that adds a lot to reviews and the believability of them is having some sort of denotation that this is a verified purchaser. Amazon's gone down that route. I know Power Reviews, which is a vendor in the space, has an integration. More and more sites are doing that. I do feel like that that adds a mark of credibility to the review. So I would definitely kind of seek that integration if you can, or think about maybe going to those sites and and prioritizing those reviews a little bit higher. And also, if you're, again, managing reviews, I haven't seen a a site or a vendor that does this very well, but it'd be interesting to, to see if you can pull in some sort of social profile picture with the reviews, how Discuss does, and some of the other comments, which you should check out. But I think that One thing that a lot of review integrations lack is a personality behind it. There's a lot that have like avatars and things like that. But pulling in a social profile picture or something of the sort, I think might really kick up the believability of what people are talking about. So think about that. Is that something that you could use on your site? I think Rob pointed out a lot of good points. So take those to heart. And I think that you'll have a a much better time with how you approach and strategize against reviews. Last item that we want to talk about, this is more of the a technical SEO question that we've gotten a couple times is hidden text. So as the web has evolved, we've gotten kind of fancy with our Tricky. sites. <laughs> and sometimes uh, for a reason, for multiple reasons, we choose to hide text on websites, whether that is you might have like a tab integration, maybe you have like a product page and you have a details tab, also reviews. And reviews might stay hidden until you activate it and then the text appears. A lot of sites are actually going to like a lazy load system to where text stays hidden until you actually get to that portion of the page and it loads in. So there's a lot of different reasons why you might wanna hide text. But a lot of people have questioned or worried 
or had many uh, battles internally about if we go down that road of hiding text, no matter how non-criminal our intent is, will search engines see that as me trying to dupe the system, Uh, which is what a lot of people try to avoid so we don't get spam actions against us, which we talked about earlier on. But, you know, there is a specific article going back to this character, Matt Cutts, and actually MSN and Bing have confirmed this as well. As search engine algorithms have now gotten to the point, they understand these AJAX and JavaScript integrations, changing the CSS of sites to hide and unhide text. I will say, though, however, be very explicit about the methods that you're using to hide and make visible text. Search algorithms are very smart today's day and age, but you do want to make it explicitly clear on what you're trying to do there. So a couple things that I would avoid potentially is getting kind of fancy with some of your font colors or radically changing some of that. An old tactic back in the day was just keyword stuffing where people would hide a bunch of white text on their websites and just try to rank well for key terms. So there are some nefarious reasons why people use these and you might want to avoid the appearance of some of these tactics. So make sure that when you're working with your dev teams or whatever you're working on, that your JavaScript, your Ajax, written very cleanly, it's very apparent with what you're trying to do, and potentially not getting too fancy with it where you might trip up a a search engine algorithm and they might think that you are potentially doing something for nefarious reasons. So it's not going to get you in trouble as long as you follow the guidelines. So if that's a, a debate that you're always having with your designers or your tech team, Google has come out explicitly MSN and Bing later on and said hidden text is okay. Just follow our guidelines on how to do that and uh, we'll all be friends. So if that's something that you've had some wars about, rest easy. Yeah, absolutely. I take all that to heart directly because I have a lot of spam websites out there that <laughs> I like to hide text. But, you know, seriously, I think it falls under, again, sort of our guiding principle we, as we've been talking about SEO recently is that it's try to take Google's old slogan. I don't think it's theirs anymore, but do no evil. Mm-hmm. I think they've maybe changed because they're evil now. But <laughs> in your SEO practices, just do no evil. As long as you're trying to do good, you'll most likely be following the guidelines and be just fine. But with something technical like that, it's probably best to run it by your devs. Make sure everything's on the up and up. All right, so this has been another episode. Give us a call, 904-270-9603. What did you think about tonight's episode? Have a topic for us to uh, discuss next week? Anything that you've been stressing out over? Just something you'd like us to discuss roundtable? We'd love to. Again, 904-270-9603. Visit the newbeardedmarketers.com. Looks so good. Submit your site for a tune-up or someone else's. That doesn't matter. (laughs) Just submit one. (laughs) That's a good idea. (laughs) And we got some more research coming out in the future on some interesting topics that we want to cover give us some more suggestions on what you would like us to focus on as we're always kind of generating out content but again thank you for joining us this week we will see you in the next episode this has been robin Corey, and we are the beard marketers 